Lord, thank you so much for sending Jesus. We hear a story like Noel's and we're just reminded again how real it is, how it changes people now and for all eternity. And I pray you'll help us understand the meaning of it, the insight to it. You know, we've been through Christmas season so many times and sometimes we miss the significance of it for ourselves. I pray that for everybody here listening, Lord, that they'll, they'll really understand what it's all about for them. Jesus coming to earth as a baby. I just pray, Lord, for that kind of anointing, that kind of insight, that kind of conviction, whatever it be, that the Spirit needs to bring upon us now for everyone here in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the whole story is based around the manger scene. I call it God's visual aid. It's based around the idea that this young girl, Mary, got pregnant by no doing of her own. And she had a baby. And the baby was God actually coming to earth. That's the scriptural teaching. You know, the big question we often wonder about, how could that happen? How is that possible? But we miss, we go right past the main point, which is why? Why would God do this? Why is this important? Why why do we need to understand this? And the reason we often miss it is because we're fixating on the how and not really understanding the context. And the context is really the whole Bible. I mean, from Genesis all over the book of Revelation, let me, let me try and sum it up. It's like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know how it goes in the beginning of Genesis? God's creation. And it goes on to talk about how God created human beings, right? Then in chapter 3 of Genesis, it talks about what's called the fall. When Adam and Eve decided they're going to be their own God. They don't need God. They fell to the serpent's temptation, and that's the essence of what happened there. And then through the rest of the Old Testament, you got Abraham, you got Moses, you got the children of Israel, and then all the prophets. Did you know that in the prophets of the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came, there are 200 predictions of Jesus coming? We're going to read one of them today. 200 of them about where he'd be born, how he'd be born, all these different significant things that are just unbelievable. It's mind-boggling to comprehend the Old Testament predictions hundreds of years in advance that happened in the New Testament when Jesus was born. Phenomenal. So Jesus was born. You know the story. In a manger. Then he grew to be a man. Then he went to the cross and died on the cross for us. We're going to explain all this in a minute. For our sins was buried and rose from the dead three days later, right? And then after 40 days, being with all the disciples, ascended to heaven and said, I'm coming back. And we're in that period right now. He's coming back. But he's already done the work. And that's really what God's visual aid here of Jesus in the manger really presents to us. Let's, Let's go back to that first question. Like, why did God do this? There's an answer right in Scripture, right at the beginning of the New Testament. Did you know that? Matthew chapter 1 talks about the birth of Jesus. Let's put it on the screen. I'll read it with you. Here's how it reads. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. See that? And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel, catch that, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, 
and you should call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Catch that. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Now, this is Isaiah 7, 14. In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before it happened, here's what it says. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Crazy, huh? Crazy vulnerable for God. Why would he do this? Like I said, but probably the most significant thing is it's it's the incarnation. It's God coming to earth for us. Yeah, yeah, like I said, it's crazy for God, but makes a lot of sense for us. It's like unbelievable. Let's use this visual aid. Here, let me pick up this little doll, which is a baby. It's supposed to be Jesus. And, and, and think about this a minute with me, would you please? This, this is, according to what we just read, and according to what the scripture reveals, this is a 100% human baby, but a 100% God. It, this is, like, for example, this is a product of creation. It's created, just like you and me. But the Bible says it inhabits the creator. What? This baby is so vulnerable, like all babies, right? That's why we have to care for babies and take care of babies and wrap them up because they're vulnerable to all kinds of problems. But God, (laughs) he's self-existent. He's not vulnerable to anything or anyone. You know, this baby's very limited, right? It's just just a baby. All babies are limited by their size, uh, their their, their strength, their lack of strength. Uh, You know, it's just a baby, very limited, but God's limitless, absolutely limitless. You know, babies are just uh, all powerless. They, they don't have any power. You know, that's, again, why we have to care for them and feed them, because they have no power to do that, right? But God's all-powerful. You know, I, f- I forgot one. Comprehensible, that's the one. I always forget that. I can comprehend a baby, even a baby doll like this. We can comprehend it, but God's incomprehensible. Now, I could go on and on all night showing you all these differences between God and us and God and us, and he's divine and we're human. But the point is this, incarnation. That's the theological term, incarnation, meaning God becomes a human. And again, you got to ask the question, why would he do that? Crazy for him, not so good for him. He would do it for us. Do you understand that? What I'm saying is, God did this because of no need within him. None. God didn't need to taste like, taste food, like we taste food, or feel like a human, or go through all the experiences of being human. No need on his part. God has no need. He only did this for our need. For us. That's why, like in the book of John, it says, for God so loved the world. There's no other explanation. He loved the world. He loves us. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Incarnation. God becomes a man simply because he cares for our need. And what's our need? We're broken. Broken in our relationship with God. Obviously broken in our relationships with each other. I mean, what's wars about and divorce about and problems? I mean, why well, give me a lot of broken stuff. And Jesus came for both those. 
You know, the, the famous atheist who ended up becoming a Christian years ago, C.S. Lewis, he said, you know what it's like? He wrote this in one of his books. He says, it's like, it's like you becoming a dog. Let's say you observe that the whole dog kingdom is in trouble. Puppies are dying, the whole thing's in trouble. And you decide you're going to become a dog. And you're going to limit yourself to walking on four instead of two legs. You're going to do the disgusting things dogs do. You're deciding that, that you're going to live like a dog. You're going to eat dog food. And you're never going to speak again. You're only going to bark. I said this in the first service. I said, who would, who would do that? And the little boy over here goes, not me. I'm like, no, no, not me either. Why would you do that? Why would God do this? Great question. I think it's the central question. God would do this to deal with our problem, to deal with our sin. You know, I was privileged to raise three daughters. They're all growing now with their own kids and everything. And um, I remember when they were little girls, and you're tucking them into bed at night. Maybe they just got in their big girl bed, you know, for the first time, and they're kind of scared, and they don't know in the room, you know, and they're... Daddy, can, can you stay here a minute? Sure, hon, you know. And then, and, and then they tell me, oh, Dad, I don't know. Is there something in the closet? I think I heard something under my bed, and you're checking things out for me, you know. And then, well, let me, honey, honey, let me pray for you. So I pray that Jesus will watch over them, Jesus will take care of them, and then say, oh, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave now, hon. And I'm, I'm going to go outside the door. You'll be fine. Jesus is right here. And I remember, I forget which one, looking at me. You know, Daddy, yeah, but Daddy... Uh, uh, I need someone here with skin on, like you, you know. <laughs> skin on. But more than that, he took on the human nature to bear the sins of the whole world. He did it for us. That's what incarnation means. Wow. He became like you becoming a dog for us. In the second thought I wanted to give you today, it's all about the question of why God would... Why, why do we need this so bad? Why couldn't God find a, like a different way of doing this? Well, it's because we're in such trouble with our own natures. It's because we have such need within ourselves. We are so broken in this relationship with God and with each other that God had to do this. There's a couple of passages in Scripture that I want to share with you, just two verses of the same chapter, and they really address the need we have for change. For example, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. Old has passed away, and the new has come. Paul's trying to explain what Noel just shared with you. What we have in this church all the time, these God-at-work stories, these transformations that take place in people's lives because they've changed. They decided to believe that Jesus could change them, and he did. I'm sure everyone in this room can talk about, can think about, can remember things in their life, can are constantly reminded of things in their life. Boy, I wish this could change. I wish that could change. I seem to not be going around and around. I'm not changing. Paul's trying to explain, well, that can happen to you. It's all about God coming into your life. The second verse I want to share is just a few verses later. It's 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. One of my favorites. It says, God, or he made him, which is God made Jesus, who knew no sin. 
the spotless Lamb of God. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. You know what theologians call that? Substitutionary atonement. Key word, substitute. Let me explain. Let's use the baby again. God made Jesus who knew no sin but grew into being a man. And he used Jesus to be sin on our behalf by having him go to the cross and die on the cross for your sin, for mine. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we could become the righteousness of God in him. I could look like Jesus in God's eyes. I could now go to heaven. I was stopped before because of my unrighteousness. Even the Old Testament says my righteousness is like filthy rags to God. It doesn't, it doesn't count. But what Jesus did is my substitute counts. Now listen to me closely. Please listen to this. The essence of your sin, the essence of my sin is that we substitute ourselves for God. That's what Adam and Eve did. That's what we all do. I can be my own God. I can do it my way. I want what I want. The essence of sin is we substitute ourselves for God. And the essence of salvation is God substitutes himself for us. Oh my goodness. Is that what the manger scene means? Is that what Jesus came for? Not only God incarnate, but to be the substitute so that you could have salvation. Yeah. Do you get it? Do you understand this? I sure hope you do. But I got to tell you this. To comprehend it, to understand it, to say, okay, I got that figured out. It makes sense. Yeah, I've heard that before. Did you know in the Bible there's absolutely zero promises for that? Doesn't mean a thing. It's worth nothing. The Bible doesn't say if you understand this, going to heaven. Nope, never says it. It says what? If you believe. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes. Do you know the difference in the Bible between knowing something and believing it? Believing means you embrace it. Believing means you trust him. Believing means it's yours. You own it for yourself, for your present life, and for your future life. That's what it means to believe. Knowing it gets you nowhere. Believing it changes your life. That's <laughs> yeah, more than just getting it. It's believing for yourself. This week... We heard about Lori's Uncle Ralph. I'm going to put him on the screen. Let's put it. There's Uncle Ralph. He's got an old barn there and stuff because he, he, was, he had a little bit of a farm. He lived in Kansas, in Colony, Kansas. 400 people in Colony, Kansas. Most everybody knew Uncle Ralph. He was 95 years old. He just passed away. Uncle Ralph had 11 children. So no wonder everybody in town knew Uncle Ralph. I mean, everybody's related to him. So it's like... <laughs> He, he, had, he had 11 children. He had eight girls. And he had three boys. And he had like 45, 50 grandchildren, great-grandchildren. I don't know how many he's got. One of the characteristics, especially us being from the East Coast, if you met Uncle Ralph, what you would notice clearly by this big, tall, kind of handsome old man with big hands, because he worked a lot with his hands, is that Uncle Ralph talked slower than anybody I'd ever met. 
which might be why he lived so long, because he took him that long to get the words out. I don't know. Could be. But Uncle Ralph talked really slow. He, he had a gift, too. Uncle Ralph was, um, I don't know what you call this, uh, photographic memory or whatever, but if he ever once heard your birthday, he remembered. He knew every kid's birthday. That'd be hard enough just to know my 11 kids' birthday for me. That'd be tough. But he knew all the grandkids' birthday. He knew my birthday, all these cousins. I'm talking hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. Uncle Ralph, boom, just like that. It's, how his brain could work like that, I have no, I don't know. But let me say this. As smart as Uncle Ralph was, as many kids as he had, as many grandkids and great-grandkids as he had, as nice a person as he was, Uncle Ralph could do nothing, nothing to determine any of their eternal destinies, to help any of them truly be changed. He could do nothing to even save his own soul. He needed a substitute, just like everyone else in this room and everyone else in the planet Earth who's ever existed. Without the substitute, you can't change what you need to change. You can't change your eternal destiny. Only Jesus can. Which is why you hear stories like a a Noel talking about the change. Yeah, it's change now, change later. God can do this. He's God. He's the substitute for our sins. The incarnation, God came to us in the flesh. Now, here's what we're going to do for the rest of the service. Almost done. I want you to think about this. I want you to talk to God yourself. One of the shames of Christmas time is everything's hustle and bustle and moving fast. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to invite the worship team out right now. The worship team's going to come out. They're going to sing a song for you. I don't want you to sing. I'm giving you permission to not sing. Just listen. This song is like an invitation to your heart to open up to God. Maybe, maybe you pray. Maybe you just contemplate. But I want you to stop for a minute here and just think. You need some think time. And just think, because I'm going to come out at the end of this song. I'm going to pray with you. And I'm, I'm wanting you to be ready to make a decision when I, when I pray with you about your relationship with God, about the incarnation, about the substitution of Christ for us. And so the worship team now is going to lead you in this song. And I want you to just think, maybe even pray.